As a therapist, I often find myself in little conversations about relationships, mental health, so on and so forth. And I found myself in the middle of one of those the other day. I was chatting with a friend and she was telling me about how her husband had been speaking to her lately, which sounded demeaning and passive aggressive. As she described more of the problem, her eyes lit up as she prepared me for the newest revelation she had. She told me about some of the progress she's made in her own therapeutic journey and was so excited to be learning about the idea of boundaries. They're essential for good communication and good relationships, so I was excited to hear this as well. She went on to tell me, I'm so proud of myself. I realized that this is a boundaries issue and the way he was talking to me was not okay. And then I realized he'll never know my boundary if I don't communicate it with him. So I just told him. I told him, you are not allowed to speak to me like that anymore. It seemed like a real mic drop moment. Except the mic was about to gather a little bit of feedback. That's great, I told her. You used your voice and you're right that the way he's speaking to you needs to change. And you're right that he's not going to know what you're thinking unless you verbally communicate it to him. But what you're wrong about is that what you said is not a boundary. Welcome to Relatable, a Thrive Therapy podcast. My name is Coulter Bloxham, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Lauren Mokeri and Kayla Gensler. We are three licensed professional counselors running a therapy community in Phoenix called Thrive. Our mission is to help you find the most connected version of yourself, and we do that through individual therapy, group therapy, couples therapy, couples workshops, intensives, retreats. We kind of run the gambit. And this podcast is just an extension of all that, where we go through topics on how to relate better to others and how to relate better to yourself, better to your anxiety, emotions, experiences, and so on. Our topic for today is something that is paramount to having good relationships, and that is boundaries. And I've got to say, when I was recording our little intro, I felt a little bit nervous as to how you two were going to react. Like maybe I was being kind of rude in my assertion, but I did want to illustrate a specific point that I'm sure we will unpack later. So Lauren, I'm curious what's going through your mind. Yeah, I actually felt very aligned with the point that you made. I think I I share this with clients a lot. I have some pet peeves around boundaries and how we um, start to interact with some of the new concepts that we might be learning around boundaries. Cause I think it's really common to start learning some new things and get really excited about like, Oh, I've got this new tool in my pocket that I'm going to pull out and I'm going to go use it in my relationships. And we forget that sometimes there's a tendency to like overcorrect before we actually grasp onto some of the nuances that are required in things like boundaries. And so that point that you made at the end there of, you know, that's not actually a boundary to tell somebody else that you're just not allowed to do something, right? Like that's a demand, that's an instruction. It's trying to control somebody else's behavior, which is not something that we actually have control over. So I actually felt that in my body. I felt some relief when you did say it at the end. (laughs) Yeah. I think 
boundaries is such like a hot topic in therapy and something that you can find all over social media. And um, I don't know if it's like more recently, but it has certainly felt like it's come to my office and my groups more and more as far as like I'm practicing boundaries. And even when that topic comes up in group or they see it on the schedule, I can notice people are just getting like really eager to get to boundaries week because it feels I don't know. I think maybe just like super common and popular in social media. So yeah, it's so funny to think of the things that people are aware of now as to like 15 years ago, you could have been a therapist and be like, we're going to talk about boundaries. And someone would be like, what is a boundary? And you're like, oh, I get to explain all this to you. But now there's all these things like boundaries and vulnerability that are all these hot button items. And I think boundaries is definitely one of the most misunderstood Yeah. And I think that is because it actually is such a complex theme. And kind of like I had nodded to earlier, anytime that we try to take something really complex and really nuanced and kind of break it down into these more simple, digestible pieces, there's always going to be that risk that we're just sort of taking like a really bite-sized version of something and then thinking that that's the actual thing without catching like, oh, that's maybe a piece of it that needs to be woven together with a lot of other complex pieces. So we started talking a little bit already about what a boundary is and what a boundary isn't. Lauren, you were talking about how a boundary is not controlling somebody else's behavior. Can you just unpack it a little bit more for us? Yeah, I think that sometimes what we want is to be able to control somebody else's behavior. And so we'll attempt to deliver a boundary by kind of parading that word boundary and then just telling somebody else, here's what you're not allowed to do, right? Here's what you are allowed to do. Here's what you're not allowed to do because that's my boundary, which doesn't leave room for the other person's experience to be shared and considered as far as like, how are they feeling? What are some of their reasons for behaving the way that they are? What are what's some of their participation maybe in responding to the way that we actually feel about something? So it would be a less vulnerable thing to just be able to tell people what to do based on what we want our boundaries to be. I think it's more vulnerable work to actually take ownership of our own behaviors and look at boundaries as like, here's something that I'm going to do. And ideally, I think that comes after some conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, and the truth is, as much as we think that we can control other people, we never can, right? And so all these tactics that we use to have, quote unquote, boundaries with other people really aren't what boundaries are about anyways, right? And and sometimes it actually feels like some level of relief to know that boundaries are actually rules for ourselves and how we want to respond and how we want to react in certain situations that we're placed in because we can control ourselves, believe it or not. Yeah. And that moves, that moves us back into that place of vulnerability because we have to sit with that fact, oh, I can't control the other person and they're not going to necessarily do what I want them to do. And that's kind of a scary feeling in relationships. It's like, what if I can't get this need met? And so that moves us back into that place of vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. So a question that comes up in my mind a lot from there is when we are practicing boundaries, almost kind of asking like, is this really a healthy boundary or is it just a move to avoid vulnerability? And I think, Coulter, that you described that really well of like, it's a vulnerable feeling in our own body 
to tell somebody that we don't feel okay about something and to not know how they're going to respond. And so a lot of times when we're coming with a more rigid stance, like I'm just going to come and tell you that I'm never going to be okay with this. And if you ever do this again, I'm going to walk away or I'm going to not speak to you anymore. It's like we're preemptively trying to avoid any response that they might give us that feels you know, anxiety provoking or uncertain or out of our control. And so I think just that question of like, am I just trying to avoid the uncertainty of not knowing how this conversation is going to go? Or am I actually slowing things down and leaving space to understand my experience and somebody else's experience while knowing that I'm only in charge of managing myself? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how we are going to do that. So we've got this broken down into four major points. These are the only four things you ever need to know about boundaries, right, Lauren? (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) That was some sarcasm. But we think that these are, you know, good starting points for you as you are navigating boundaries within your relationships. So our first point is that our bodies are the indicator for when we need to set boundaries. Yeah, I'm going to speak to that first because those who know me as a therapist know that I use a lot of somatic approaches, meaning body-based approaches to therapy. And I think one of the things that I see land on clients in a way that kind of bums them out, I think, is that when they're asking like, well, how do I manage boundaries in a healthy way? How do I know when I need to set a boundary or when I don't? The answer really does come down to we need to be able to trust our own body. We need to be able to trust the the alarms that come up, the mild warning signals, the signals that like, oh, this feels good to me. Oh, this doesn't feel good to me. Oh, this is a feeling of anger. This is a feeling of fear. So for those of us who maybe have lived pretty disembodied, like disconnected from our emotions or disconnected from our bodily cues that are meant to give us some of those intuitions and instincts, a lot of times that's going to be the first part of boundary work is actually reconnecting to our bodies so that we can trust it to give us those signals. Yeah. And I think in addition to paying attention to those bodily cues, the other thing that usually comes up for me is being able to really know and understand your needs and values. Because again, revisiting the idea that boundaries are rules for the self, if I don't have beliefs and um, solid understanding about what I need and what sorts of things will trigger those responses in my body, then it's really hard to discern how I want to respond and when I should respond to what, really, right? We need to have ideas around the what as well. Yeah, like if we haven't organized all of those pieces, right? What do I feel? What are my values? How do I prioritize my values? If we haven't organized those things intentionally, we're going to find ourselves being very reactive. Like I only ever react impulsively to things versus having found some space to be able to slow down an initial reaction and use that organization to make choices. So one of the things that I'm always seeing in therapy is people having that question of, you know, what types of boundaries are there? What are the areas that I need to set boundaries in? And there's quite a few different areas. Yeah, I can think of a handful off the top of my head. I think the very first one that always comes up in my mind is boundaries around our time and energy um, and how we're managing our time and energy. So this kind of goes into the way that I maybe set up my own schedules and routines or what I 
explicitly tell others to expect about my own availability or accessibility. So there's some like proactive management in time and energy as well as deciding what do I say yes versus no to when somebody asks me something more spontaneously. I think, you know, being a relational therapist and helping people in the in the areas of making new friends or going on dates, like we talked about last time we were all together, one of the things that we had brought up and is also applicable to boundaries is what do I want to disclose to other people, especially in what level of relationship do I have with them? And so again, it's kind of that decision. I use this bullseye for my own clients. And so if you're listening to this, you'll know um, a boundaries bullseye and kind of just this idea of like you being in the center and a bullseye has many then rings you know, outward from there and making rules for, okay, what kind of people in my life fit in that first rung, right? And what should I, what kind of disclosure rules do I have around what I share with people in that rung? When will I call them? How much time do I want to give to them? Then shifting out to the second, the third, the fourth, um, where we're kind of getting a little bit further away from those more intimate relationships. And now it maybe go to places like coworkers or people that I'm just meeting. I usually recommend to kind of dip the toe in the pool with that rung because we're kind of testing, right? We're deciding at that level what is safe across the board. And then as I kind of share more gradually in depth about things that are a little bit more vulnerable, um, how do these types of people respond? Do they respond really positively and safely so I should move them in a rung? Is that first level of disclosure maybe getting a response that makes me feel scared or unsafe. And so therefore, I'm not going to share anything deeper with those people. Um, So kind of just, again, visualizing other people outside of the self as different layers in this bullseye so we can determine, you know, what are my rules for each layer as far as what I want to share? That's something that I feel like I've experienced some guilt over in navigating those different, is it rungs or rings? I don't know. You know I say the wrong word all the time. <laughs> it's concentric circles. <laughs> okay, so not an R word. <laughs> but I've thought about that before and like navigating those different concentric circles of like where somebody is in that. And then if someone is a little bit further outside of that and I feel like I'm not being super honest or super authentic because someone's asking that question of how are you doing? And you're like, I'm not doing that great in your head, but you're like, "Mm, you're, you know, you're in the third or fourth concentric circle. And so maybe you're answering like, Oh, I'm doing well. Cause that feels like the appropriate emotional energy management for me, but I'll feel some guilt in response to that. That's like, you're not being honest. You're not being authentic with yourself. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you naming that culture. Cause I think that's one of the things that I feel like gets missed most frequently in boundary work is that we actually can't manage boundaries without feeling guilt. Like guilt is, it's an appropriate part of boundary work because when we are looking at who we place in which circle or which ring as far as how far out the proximity is from our innermost circle, we're having to really assess and organize the prioritization of values. You know, so if I value self-care and I also value showing up for my friends and I find myself in a situation where I'm just going to have to rank one of those two values over the other one, like if a really good friend asks if they can call me to process something really hard, but I just spent nine hours in therapy sessions and I have to rush home to get to a family event and I just don't have the time and I don't have the bandwidth I am going to feel some guilt that like, oh, wow, I really have to prioritize 
self-care right now. I have to prioritize managing my own energy that I don't really have to give to this, but I do wish that I could say yes to this other need. And so that's how guilt comes up in our body is just there's a value that's important to me that I'm not going to be able to prioritize in this moment. And so I think that's a huge thing that gets in the way of people doing boundaries is like impulsively, we don't ever want to feel guilt. I'm curious because I I feel like what you just described is really good. And I've noticed that you are very good at doing that. But going back to saying what people talk about on social media, I feel like that can almost be an excuse to to never have to give anyone any of your time because we're coming back to that place of like, oh, I can't, I can't. Like like a boundary always means I can't. And Yeah. I think that's the other place that on social media, um, there's a lot of misses because we think of a boundary or I guess the way that I see boundaries presented on social media is like, it's a wall, right? Like a boundary is a block. It's this kind of like impenetrable force that I'm putting in front of me for protection. And to some degree, that is what a boundary is. It's a way to protect ourselves, to protect our energy, our values. But if it's rigid and inflexible, then it's less of healthy boundary work. And it's more of just this like constant protection that's in front of us. So I think a question I encourage people to ask themselves around their boundaries is what are situations in which there would be flexibility for me to remove this wall, right? Like maybe I do have a relatively consistent boundary that I don't answer my phone after 9 p.m. Like that's family time. We're winding down for bed, kind of regardless of who calls. That might be something everybody in my life knows. But if one of my best friends texts me and is like, I just found out that a family member passed away or I just got some really hard news. Like I'm going to flex that rule in that circumstance. You're not going to say, Hey, it's nine 15. I'm off the clock exactly. right now. <laughs> right. I am unavailable for this crisis. Right. And if, if it's somebody who I just met and I'm not very close with them, even if they reach out with a crisis, I still might not respond. Cause I'm like, Oh, you're like not in one of my inner circles and I have more flexibility, the closer you are in my inner circles. I wanted to just like highlight something that you had just said, Lauren, and uh, like from a couple's perspective, I think the flexibility and boundaries is almost like I want to say sometimes mandatory, right? Because you're entering a relationship with somebody who has their own set of boundaries and um, manages their life in a certain way. And if we act as if boundaries are a wall, right, then we're going to run into this constant conflict and cycling in this sort of like standoff position, which I know um, we've probably seen a good handful of times in our intensive work. But I think like being able to know what your boundaries are for yourself, but then maybe even being able to categorize which ones are allowed to be a little bit more flexible based on who I'm engaging with or making rules with, negotiating with. So we're really moving into that second point right now. And that second point is that boundaries exist on a continuum, not as binary bookends. So I... I want to speak on this because this is really highlighting the way that I tend to teach boundaries is visualizing a continuum where there's really rigid approaches on either end of that continuum. And I always remind people that our brains do tend to 
operate in a pretty binary way, kind of as a default. Like the assumption, if we haven't learned otherwise, is that it can either do things the way that I've seen it done or the opposite of that. Our brains have a hard time kind of spontaneously finding some of the nuance and the gray in between those two extremes. So when it comes to boundaries, I think the two ends of the continuum, on one side, there's this boundaryless end where we are so kind of desperate for connection or so afraid of the feelings of abandonment or rejection or not having support that it feels like the only way for me to maintain connection is to not have any boundaries at all. I just need to say yes to whatever somebody is asking of me. If somebody's treating me in a way that doesn't feel okay, it feels too scary to confront that or have a discussion about boundaries around that because of the risk that they might not be okay with my boundaries and they might exit the relationship. And so we can function on that one end in this very boundaryless way where I'm just constantly burned out and exhausted and usually resentful because I'm giving a lot and not getting back what I would be hoping for. And then on the other end of that continuum, kind of as a way of actually managing not feeling burned out and exhausted all the time, we'll use more of the walled off strategy which is also very rigid and inflexible. And sometimes I think people even see the walled-off strategy as like, oh, that's just somebody doing boundaries really well. And that's the one that we have to be really careful if it's rigid, if there's not flexibility and like, hey, here's my general boundary, but based on what you bring to me about your feelings and your experience and your needs and how that might be unique in this situation, I'm willing to look at maybe creative options to flex on that. So if we're coming from that really walled off place, we're really kind of holding firm to like, this is always my boundary. And if you feel differently, either you're wrong for feeling differently or I wouldn't feel that way. So you shouldn't feel that way. Um, We start kind of pulling these rules about why everybody should feel the same way that I feel. And if you don't, you must be wrong. And my boundary just stays really firm. So when we start looking at what it is to operate in between those two bookends, I think that's where we're going to see more flexibility. I tend to use this image of having like a a gate with an operational or a fence with an operational gate that we can open and close um, at will. And I have my own fence and then you also have your own fence. And there's actually this space in between where we're kind of deciding like when we, if I want to open my gate and step into this relational space, you still get to decide if you want to open your gate and step into that space as well versus this like boundarylessness of if I want something now, you just have to respond to that and you just have to feel what I feel and feel responsible for my needs or vice versa. I'm hearing you talk about these like different ways in which we can approach boundaries that there's like this boundaryless way of approaching things or more flexible way. And then there's just like that rigid walled off, which I'm just going to bash on social media this whole time. Like that is what people talk about as boundaries. Like it's just a wall and like, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, and this is what you're going to do. But, you know, let's, let's maybe take an example of, you know, let's say someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, I need to borrow some money. And then, you know, what are the different boundary ways in which we approach that? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think if we even start in the beginning of what we were describing, right? So somebody asked me to borrow money, immediately I'm checking in with my body, right? And I'm probably going to notice 
maybe, I don't know, a little bit of anxiety come up because maybe somebody's borrowed money from me in the past and they never returned it. And I felt really burned by that. And so I learned a lesson there, right? So as we had said before, we want to check in and kind of just notice, oh, hmm, maybe this is an area that I might need to set a boundary. And so based on that example, if I've learned that I get burned, a really rigid or walled off way to respond to somebody asking me for money would be, no, I don't do that, right? Flat up, flat out, I just don't do that. I do not let people borrow money, right? A more boundaryless way of responding to something like that would be, yeah, how much? How much would how much do you need? Here's um, a blank no check. problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you fill yeah. in the number, just don't, you know, don't even tell me I trust you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that on that point, right, I loved how you brought it back to checking in with your body, right? That we might notice some fear-based emotion come online. And in the boundaryless way, it's usually the like, well, I would feel guilty if I said no. And so because I would feel guilty, I here's just the blank check. I just ignore that fear that comes up in my body and just do the impulsive, I don't want to feel like a bad friend or a bad person. Yeah. And and maybe I'm also afraid of conflict, right? And I don't know how to navigate that. And so this person's going to get mad at me, right, if I say no. And so especially if they're in a position in my life that feels um, pretty prominent, right, where I'm like, ooh, that's going to be scary to say no to this person, right? So What would it look like then to have a more flexible boundary here, right? What are we hoping to see? And I think that this is the thing that it's the flexible boundary is more about the process than the answer. And I think that's where people get lost a lot of times because they think like, well, the answer is either going to be yes or no. So that's where we're only looking at those two ends of the continuum is that I could do the boundaryless yes or the rigid no. But in the middle, we're really looking at the process of, okay, so if I checked in with my body and I'm feeling some anxiety about this request, that means there's some fear-based emotion online and fear just tells me there's some risk here. So can I slow this down and really check out for myself? Well, what is the risk here, right? How much trust is there with this particular person? How much money are they asking for? Have I clarified that with them? Can I check that against my current financial situation? If I did lend them this money, would I absolutely need it back by a certain time? And how much do I trust that they could get it back by that time? If they can't get it back to me, how much would that affect me? Would I be able to feel okay about that loss um, rather than feeling constantly resentful in the relationship? So there's a lot of questions to ask ourselves first before we make the decision. And we also might need to ask the other person some questions of like, well, how much are you thinking and when would you be able to get it back to me? And what are the ways that you know you would be able to get it back to me by that time? I think sometimes we get scared of even asking those questions, but that's more the process in the middle that's going to help us decide based on my values and my current situation and my current relationship with this person. Like, do I need to say yes or no this time? Yeah. What I'm hearing you say, Lauren, is it's a process. And that means that there's some time that's needed for consideration. And so sometimes we have this sort of like feeling that comes up within us, especially relationally, that I need to respond right away to this person. I feel this sort of like pressure building. And it sounds like the better answer here is to ask for some time before we even make a decision or offer a quick response that would maybe align us more to having a more flexible boundary viewpoint. 
Yeah. And I think then the way that it's going to feel different, um, I'm going to contrast this on both ends. So if I've taken that time to process and organize, and now I come back with a really like values-based answer, it's going to, if I, my answer is yes, it's going to feel different than the boundaryless yes, because I'm not going to feel resentful, right? I've processed it enough to know that like, I feel good about saying yes to this. And regardless of whether this person pays me back or not, I'm willing to take this risk. I'm not going to feel resentful or exhausted or burned, like you said. And if my answer ends up being no, the difference between the rigid Waldorf no is that it's not this like impulsive no, and it's not a no that's based in, well, how dare you ask me? Like you should know not to ask me because of X, Y, Z, or I wouldn't ask you, or you already knew that that was my boundary. Like we don't have to point to why it wasn't okay for the person to ask, but we can deliver the no based on like, it was totally fine for you to ask. And after I had a chance to organize, I'm just not in a position to do that. And here's why. So it's more organized and values-based. And so all of that hits on this third point, which is that communication of boundaries should be specific to the prioritized need. So Kayla, can you help us understand that a little bit more? Yeah, I think Lauren had just given us a way to respond to a request that's made that might kind of trigger us in that money example. But there's going to be a lot of other scenarios that we're faced with that are going to require us to think about boundaries because we feel triggered by something that happens, right? Again, you know, being in couples work a lot of the time, I think an area that's maybe easy for us to, (laughs) easy is probably not going to be the right word, but um, easiest for us to use um, to think about boundaries is sex, right? Because there are so many different preferences, needs, um, histories involved with the things that come up in the bedroom that are going to probably trigger most of us at some point, right? And so, again, just kind of revisiting the process for the communication of this is when I when something happens and I realize I'm feeling triggered about this because my body is responding, right, I'm having an emotional experience, I am then going to probably, in a tricky situation, go into implementing either a more rigid boundary when I'm feeling triggered or a more boundary-less boundary. (laughs) And so if we use sex, maybe there's, uh, my partner is moving to try something that I'm uncomfortable with in the bedroom, right? And right away, I feel that kind of feeling come up, right? And in a less healthy way, I might just respond to that without thinking, right? And what we're trying to then discern here is when I'm feeling triggered about this and I have had a chance to organize this, how do I want to communicate the boundary that I'm recognizing with my partner, right? And so there is sort of like a green, yellow, red light way that I usually try to recommend that we communicate. And so I'll just kind of outline that first and then maybe we can play with it a bit. So green would be making a generous request, right? I'm organizing what I'm feeling and then I'm assuming that my partner doesn't isn't trying to hurt me. My partner isn't trying to embarrass me. They are just doing something that they thought was okay and so therefore I am going to respond back with a request to my partner that is generous, right? Yellow would be Kayla, can you give an example of what that might sound like? Like what would the generous request sound like in that scenario? Yeah. So if we're talking about something that maybe I'm not comfortable with in the bedroom, a green request might look like, 
hey, um, I'm, I'm going to own what I'm feeling, right? So, hey, this is making me feel a little bit uncomfortable. This is not something that I'm used to. I'm not feeling certain about if I want to do this or not. Um, would it be okay if we, you know, do this other thing instead? And let's talk about this more, right? So it's not just, no, I will not do that. That's disgusting, right? And it's certainly not, oh, sure, why not? Even though I'm feeling all this hesitation in my body, it's being able to acknowledge that I'm having a feeling about this and then I'm making a request for us to talk about this further after I've had a chance to assess that and decide, right? Yeah. And I think I just want to add like an asterisk to this because a huge part of boundary work I think especially when I think about how I've really learned to practice boundaries and get better at them, is that oftentimes in the moment when something comes up, we are going to just default to what feels more protective for us. So in that example, right, if my my partner or maybe I'm with a newer partner and my partner makes a move that I'm not comfortable with, it is pretty likely that we're going to see ourselves default to the rigid like hard stop how dare you, this is done right now, or to the passive, like, I just let this happen even though I felt uncomfortable. And then we still, after the fact, can get so much value of going back and organizing that and then coming to our partner outside of the context of that moment and being like, hey, I was reflecting on something that I was feeling in that moment that I didn't really know how to respond to right in the moment as it was happening. I kind of went into my default response of either a rigid boundary or a boundaryless response. But now that I've had some time to organize it, let me bring to you what I was feeling and maybe make a request about how we navigate that going forward. Yeah. So there's time to later come back to this. Like We don't necessarily have to get it right exactly in that moment. We might just make our decision. And then that's also a vulnerable position to put yourself in and a place of ownership to say, hey, this was how I responded to this in that moment. That was all I was really equipped to be able to do. As I've gotten some more space and as I've gotten some more time, I've been able to organize this all a little bit more. And here's what I want to communicate on this. Yeah. I feel like almost every boundary that I feel really confident to manage now, I feel that way because there was a moment where I was not pleased with Mm -hmm. how I managed it. Mm -hmm. And I learned from that. Yeah. And it's progress, not perfection, right? Because we do learn through practice. And so, you know, if we don't get it right, whether it's a conversation about sex, which by the way, can be one of the harder things for us to figure out how to communicate about, or I mean, anything else, something that's happening at work. If we don't get it right the first time, we can always go back and, dang, I wish I would have set that boundary. I wish I would have communicated this. There's always time to go back and revisit it. Well, and by the way, who doesn't appreciate someone coming to you and saying, hey, the way I responded to you probably wasn't great. And I'd like to take some ownership over that. Who doesn't appreciate that? That feels so safe. That really builds trust. Totally. It does. Okay. So a a yellow example in this area, I think one of the things that I like to always remind my clients of is my boundaries are my boundaries and my partner, my friend, my family members' boundaries are theirs. And so as we are having conversations around boundaries and what feels comfortable for us, because there is likely a difference, there is a need to revisit right? So it's not like I made this boundary and now my the person that I'm communicating with is just going to get it outright the first time. We should not hold that expectation because it's just not realistic, right? And so 
in the example that we gave around sex, you know, perhaps, you know, you have had this conversation with your partner about something that you're uncomfortable with and either that same thing happens again and they forget or they pursue something that feels just too similar to the thing that you've already set a boundary around and oop, there comes that feeling again, right? We're not going to move all the way to red, right? We're not going to move all the way to rigid and we're not going to say, what the hell? I already told you this. What are you doing? That's disgusting. Please don't do that. I'm uncomfortable with this, right? We are, again, not going to just let it happen, but we're going to revisit the boundary that we've already set, but with a little bit more firmness, right? Yellow is just a reminder with more firm intention there, right? So it's going to look something like, hey, John, right? We talked about this last time. I'm really uncomfortable when X, Y, and Z happens. I would appreciate if we don't do those types of things in the bedroom. Right. And again, just to clarify the language, because I'm hearing you say like the boundary that was already set, like it's the request that was made, right? It's the, I've talked about what feels okay for me or what doesn't feel okay for me. So in that green and yellow, I'm hearing you describe, like we're really just kind of revisiting. I'm sharing how I feel about this. I'm sharing what my request is around this. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Red is removal, right? So after I've already made the request and we can stay in green and yellow for a few passes. It doesn't have to just be one, two, three. Um, It might be three rounds in green, one round in yellow, one round in red, um, or any number of that. But essentially, when we move to red, red is removal. So this is when I'm going to enact the boundary that is control over myself that I am comfortable with, right? So if this request gets pursued again in the bedroom, and I've already had this conversation multiple times, what are my choices? How am I going to respond, right? What am I going to do then to remove myself from a situation that makes me feel uncomfortable, right? So whether that looks like ending the act, I'm even thinking like ending the act, it could also mean, is this not a safe partner for me to continue to have sex with? Because I've had multiple conversations with this person and they're clearly not able to respect the requests that I'm making. So, I mean, in a, we're, when we're getting to a red stage, removal is I'm ready to remove either myself or the relationship or the job or whatever the case is, because I've had multiple conversations with somebody in a regulated place and I'm ready to, to move on. So you talked a little bit earlier about this too, about, you know, when we start at that green space, we're coming in with a little bit like, okay, I'm going to assume the best about this person. And so our last point is that we should approach boundaries with grace, generosity, and curiosity. So we're not just showing up like, this is what's happening. And, you know, this is what it means that you did this and you're a bad person. We're like, we're showing up with, okay, I'm going to assume they're not trying to embarrass me or they're not, they're not trying to hurt me in some way. I'm showing up with grace, generosity, and curiosity. Yeah, and I think that speaks really to the process that we've been talking about in the middle of the continuum is that we're not just showing up assuming that we already understand all of the pieces, that our story about what's going on for the other person is definitely accurate, but we're also not just letting go of our boundaries. We're not just you know, choosing to say, oh, sure, well, I have generosity for you. So anything that you want is fine as well. We, we just keep coming back to the conversation to try to navigate it together. Yeah. And I would say like nine times out of 10, we should be in a space that we are moving from green to yellow to eventually to red if we have to, but we may not even ever get to that point, right? Because we're holding space for generosity and curiosity. There is 
a small percent of times that we are going to have to go immediately to red if our safety is in question. And I think that's worth mentioning um, as far as boundaries go, because there are times when we don't need to hold space for generosity, but I would say like 90% of the time, that's the practice we should be in. Totally. I've seen that in therapy before where people are trying to do that because that's like, you know, the right thing to do. But there's certain acts that people take that if someone steps over this line, it's, you know, it's kind of like a one strike system. And then, you know, after a certain amount of time has passed, maybe I revisit if this person is able to earn my trust. But, you know, I think those are usually kind of in more like specific situations where some sort of safety is in question. Yeah. And it comes all the way back to the first point that we talked about, that we need to be able to trust our bodies to let us know when it's a one-strike situation versus a three-strike situation. Um, And I think especially like if we have a trauma history, that can be some work we really need support in individually of like, how do I trust my body? Have I organized my values clearly enough to be able to discern when one strike is like, nope, there's not safety here versus there there is a foundation of safety and trust to work from. All right, I'm going to take everything that I have learned from both of you and I'm going to try to implement it right now because I love this conversation. I love doing the podcast. And so I want to keep talking about this, but I'm looking at the time and all three of us need to go to our staff meeting. And so I feel some guilt about that. We're going to end the podcast right now. Like, oh, we, you know, we didn't go on point number four for quite as long, but we also need to show up on time for a staff meeting. And so I, you know, I'm just kind of navigating both of those things at the same time of what it looks like to say, okay, we're going to finish up and, you know, we'll we'll return next time. Yep. I feel that same exact way. Like you said earlier, there's not just four points to boundaries. So it feels I think always hard for me to end a conversation on boundaries being like, and wait, there's so much more. And also you're right. We're practicing our boundaries here and wrapping this up to get to our next commitment. You know what I could do is I could plug our boundaries course that we have on our membership site, which is at thrivetherapyphx.com. So if you want to do a little bit more work, we do have some more work. We just don't have anything more for you right now. Thanks so much for joining us. As we just mentioned, trying to tackle all of boundaries in about 40 minutes was probably a little bit of a silly idea. So we're going to have to get to some more of it later. But please join us next week where we are going to be talking about making and keeping friends. And I would say, who doesn't want more friends? But maybe you don't. And maybe that's okay. We'll talk about that next week.